Hey, Church of the Valley family. Excited to continue our series in the book of Titus as we have been walking through the series known as Leading While Stuck in the Home. The first chapter of Titus was Paul speaking to this pastor or elder, Titus, and telling him how to appoint and equip elders amongst the island of Crete. The second chapter, which we started last week, was Paul spending some time speaking to Titus about how the members and the people that are part of the church ought to act and ought to live to make it so the gospel is heard and known. All pointing out what a healthy church looks like, one that has character and actions that back up the message of the gospel. So today we're going to conclude chapter 2 of Titus, where Paul is going to continue to point out the actions and the character of God's people that are truly compelling and a wonderful backdrop of the message of the gospel. We're in a crazy time. We have people within our community having their hours cut at work, being furloughed or being laid off completely because of the economy and the fear of the unknown. It's an unprecedented time. Tensions and fear can be running high in our homes and in our community. But I want to tell you as your pastor and as your friend, God is still God. He is still in control. He's still in this with us. And as we've studied last week, our circumstances that have, have, we've gone through in the past and the circumstances we're currently in are to shape us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We say a lot that the purpose of this life is to know Christ and to show Christ. Knowing Christ isn't just about knowing his name, but being in relationship with the God of the universe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we want to know Christ. We want to know the Jesus of the Bible, where he reveals himself, his character, his work, his personality, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. But once we know him, we ought to want others to know the same God that we have met and adore. So we want to show Christ in our words, backed up by our actions in unison with one another so that no one can discount our gospel message. Millions upon millions of dollars, hours, manpower, resources are used to get the message of Jesus out to others. There's been no time in history that the reach of Jesus's name has been more out there because of technology than today, right now, than ever before. But the point of the Great Commission was not that you would that people would just know of Jesus, but that they would know Jesus personally. Knowing has a lot more to do with time spent, has a lot more than just knowing the facts about someone. And similar to what we said last week, we ought to be more concerned with someone's mileage than their manufacture date. So we, as followers of Jesus, should introduce people to Jesus as the Lord of heaven and earth and equip them to lovingly obey him more than just know things about him. That's what a disciple is. It's not one with all the facts, but the one with the disposition of following and trusting their master. So Paul's going to point out to the members of the church that, they're wit that they are witnesses in all circumstances and that their witness and how they deal with their circumstances produces more of a convincing argument for Jesus and the gospel than any mass evangelistic revival or marketing plan ever could. So we're going to start in verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9, here's what it says. Paul is writing to Titus and he says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them. Whoa, this escalated quickly, didn't it? Slaves? What? 
some people may hear that and just assume that the Bible affirms slavery. Slow down. This was in a context where slavery, or in other translations, bond servants were a pretty consistent way of life where individuals were owned by other individuals. The term applies generally to all employees, but in this context, it's direct reference to slaves, men, women, and children who in the Roman Empire and in much of the ancient world were owned by their masters. They had few, if any, civil rights, and often they were given little more dignity or care than some domestic animals. The New Testament nowhere can... Uh, condones the practice of slavery, but it everywhere teaches that freedom from the bondage of sin is infinitely more important than freedom from any human bondage a person may have to endure. A slave owner who enslaved individuals had different priorities and a different perspective of human life than one who was dominated by the Holy Spirit. So Paul's admonishment to those who were bondservants were to live in submission for the cause of Christ. Paul speaks about this to the church in Ephesus as well when he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Your status was not what God wanted you to focus on when it came to serving him, but you're a trophy of grace. He wanted the message to not be slandered by people who claimed that they were his, but acted like they were their own. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy and he says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Your knowing and showing Jesus off is far more important than your freedom on this planet. But that seems kind of countercultural, doesn't it? We love our freedoms. That's why so many people are struggling with shelter in place, because at some point we may start to believe that it is our freedoms that are being taken from us, even though we're doing what we can to keep ourselves and other people around us safe. I appreciate my freedom in this country. I appreciate this country. I appreciate the liberties that have been fought for, but my master is not a flag or a government. When Christ died in my place, when he victoriously rose from the dead, and then 2,000 years later opened my eyes to his invitation, he became the one whose will I want to live out. Not popular opinion, not a bureaucracy, but a God who revealed himself and his will within the pages of his word. Documented so I could know him and know that he loves me and know how I can love him back the way that he wants to and wants me to. So in verse 10 of Titus 2, he says, And to not steal from them, being the masters, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So even those who were in slavery were to be a witness of Jesus Christ, because the greatest purpose 
of Jesus Christ, it's not their freedoms, it's not their pleasure, it's not their prosperity, but it's God's glory being put on display. So Paul's admonishment was that they, that they in their current circumstance, were to model Christ-likeness, particularly in submission, even to the authority of a slave owner who doesn't necessarily deserve someone's submission. Why? So as we taught last week, so that the word of God would not be maligned, so that the word of God will be attractive, that it will be without blemish or excuse, so that people cannot excuse the truth of the word because of the hypocrisy of the messenger. The German philosopher Heinrich Hein once said it this way, you show me your redeemed life, I may be inclined to believe in your redeemer. This is the possible reality of many, many of the people around us who don't trust Christ. This may be the reality of some of you watching this video right now and wondering if the lives of myself and other Christians actually back up the message that we preach. Listen, the power is in the word. It's, it's in the word. It is in God speaking into existence life, but also speaking the truth of his gospel to this world. But excuses come from the lifestyle of the messengers, and people won't even hear the word in the first place if there's enough excuses. This doesn't mean at all that God approves of slavery, as we've been saying. It just means that slavery to sin is far worse eternally than one's enslavement to another person or even in employment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20, or verse 21, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Gaining your freedom, if possible, should be pursued, as Paul says to the people in Corinth. But the point that he's making to Titus, the point that he's making to, in Ephesus and to Timothy, is that the message of the gospel being heard, understood, and not discounted is the goal of every believer who, who first knows Jesus and wants to show Jesus off. See, don't spend all your time focusing on trying to change your circumstance, but steward your circumstances for the glory of God. That's what this should look like. We're in a rough situation, but how can we steward the situation for the glory of God? And listen, most of us, if not all of us, have debts that we live having to pay back. We use utilities, so we have to pay for those. We take credit on large loans for things like homes and vehicles or even our schooling. And the requirements to pay those responsibilities back can sometimes be a type of slavery, but as a bondservant, we also could see that at what being an employee is like now is similar to what they're talking about. We just have more rights, there are unions, and there are more laws to protect employees than there were before. The current climate of the world is one that's trying to protect itself from being infected by the coronavirus while also supporting ourselves and our families. And there's this tug of war and this pushing back and forth. So how do we take Paul's words now in 2020 during the largest pandemic in the world that the world has ever known? We remember that knowing Christ, our salvation, that he's our future promise of eternity with God without any infection from sin is by far the greatest gift and hope 
any of us can have. And so being a witness who testifies about the goodness of our God is not just a benefit of our salvation, but it is the supernatural response to truly understand the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. In verse 11 of Titus 2, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God that is spoken of here is the person and it is the work of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is a gift that you and I don't deserve. Being able to understand and know him is a gift that we don't deserve. Being found not guilty of our sin because of Christ's sacrificial exchanging of his life for ours is a gift that we don't deserve. And it was this grace appearing and inviting and offering all of mankind, all types of people to repent of their sin and have their debt be paid by Jesus Christ, which is the greatest gift of all time that we do not deserve. But God offered it anyway, because he is good. And the understanding of grace also means that you have an understanding of a need for said grace. You can't receive grace if you think you've done nothing wrong. Someone who doesn't think they are sick will never go and get help. Forgiveness isn't compelling to someone who believes they have nothing to be forgiven of. But when the grace of God represented in the Son of God draws you through his loving sacrifice, you realize how in need of forgiveness you are. I just spit. <laughs> when I was a younger man, I, I worked at a place where we sold, uh, it was a retail store and we sold different office supplies. And I worked there, I, I was still in high school, I was 17 and I went up the ranks and I was doing different type of uh, supervisor and management jobs. And when I was a younger man, I used to steal a lot of things, just being real. I used to steal stuff. I got a, I get somewhat of an adrenaline rush from it. I didn't really think of other people's stuff as that important. So I would just take things. This is way before Jesus. And I got caught stealing a lot of stuff from the place that I worked. In fact, they, uh, the people that worked there or some of the higher ups were trying to figure out ways to catch me red handed. And they did. And I got caught and I was 17, I was almost 18, and they were gonna try me as an adult. And I had a boss at the time, a guy named Bill, really great guy, really appreciated him. And he was pretty upset that I had stolen all these things under his watch. And it turned out that when everything went down and they were gonna try to throw the book at me, he saw something in me. And not something that I saw in myself, but he saw something in me. And so he did everything he could to the point where I found out later on that he went to the supervisors or the head ups of the corporation and said, you've wanted me to take this other job within the corporation. If you will not press charges against him, I will take the job. And he did this thing that absolutely put himself out. He didn't want to take the job. He liked his job, but he was very good in the company and they really wanted to put him in a different position. And because he knew that he could leverage the fact that they wanted him so that they, so he didn't want me to have to go to jail, he did that and he took on that other job and he worked in that place and he sacrificed his well-being and his life and the way that he wanted to do things so that I wouldn't go to prison. And I didn't know until afterwards and I, I eventually uh, found out what he had done for me after I didn't get tried as an adult and I didn't have the book thrown at me. But 
I remember after finding out, it was one of the most beautiful representations. I didn't know it at the time, but it was one of the most beautiful representations of the gospel. Because this man who at the, I don't believe knows Christ, and I definitely didn't know Christ at the time, sacrificed his well-being. He sacrificed his life to make it so I could have a better life and I didn't have to go in a certain direction that I was headed for. There's a beauty in the gospel, church. There's a beauty in the reality that Jesus stepped into our fray. He stepped into the history of our world where we're messed up and he took on the life and the death that we deserve to die after living the perfect life. And he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead. And there's a beauty in this gospel that as we are sheltering in place, as we don't get the opportunity to connect with people the way that we want to, we still can be stewards of grace. We still can point people to the truth of Jesus Christ. I tell you that story because I didn't deserve redemption, but that that didn't matter to my former boss. He saw something in me that I definitely didn't see in myself, and he stepped into my place and he exchanged the thing that he was going through so that I wouldn't have to go through what I deserved. Verse 12 of Titus 2. Paul says, It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Saying no to sin isn't how you become a child of God. It's by saying yes to Jesus and he will transform us from the inside out. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So it is this gospel the Savior in Jesus Christ who teaches us and compels us to say no to sin, to say no to the worldly passions of this life, to say no to the urges. Rather, we can live self-controlled, upright, and God-mirroring lives in any circumstance, but especially our current ones. These are conflicting statements. In our natural state, we run towards pleasure. We run towards sin. But instead, by being indwelled and being dominated by the Holy Spirit, we can live self-controlled, full of integrity kind of lives, not by trying harder, but by being governed and dominated by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah and amen. In the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus writes and says that our lives are but a mist. They're but a snap. But during this brief life, we have the opportunity to live for Christ. And as we wait for our inheritance, as we wait for our eternity that is sealed with him because we get to be with him, Jesus, our King and our Savior, see, hope, the term, is looking forward to in confident expectation. It is looking forward to in confident expectation. So what are you expecting confidently? Many of us are expecting to be able to go out and live normal lives again. Many of us miss restaurants, we miss school, or at least the social interaction that goes along with school. We miss sporting events, we miss entertainment, we miss being able to go without thinking twice, to go anywhere, to go into a public place. We miss going to the grocery store and not worrying about our health. 
Some of us are looking forward to weddings and parties and reunions with loved ones. And all of those are good things. But let me tell you, church, all of them, if you believe it or not, pale in comparison to our hope in an eternity with Christ and his coming back and his resurrection in him. Can I get an amen? All right. See, nothing for a believer is more important than our eternity with God forever and ever. Amen. But it's hard to think that way when you feel stuck, when you're stuck in the here and now. But the blessed hope in Jesus Christ, this relationship that begins in this life when you commit your lives to him, and only gets closer and only gets clearer in the next life that we can look forward to because we know Christ. But in this life, we take every opportunity to show Christ off to the world who has no hope, has no confident expectation of anything that is real outside of Jesus Christ. So real talk, if you're watching this playlist because you're part of the Church of the Valley family, or maybe because someone sent it to you, hey, watch this or because you came across it somehow, I just wanna let you know, there is hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, in verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, Jesus, the one we sing praises to, the one we speak of, the one we close our prayers with, he is our blessed hope. He is our salvation. And so no matter what your circumstance is, for those who have been redeemed, there is always the promise of God and the promise of himself in eternity. So we expectantly wait for his coming while making known who he is to those that we can. I was on the phone this week with our community groups director, Karen Miller. And as we prayed together, she said something that struck me in the prayer. Here's what she said. We were made for more than video games and Netflix. Now, before I'm stepping on some people's toes, because I know we's watching a lot of Netflix and playing a lot of video games. I've been thinking about what she said all week. I've played an entire season of Madden 2020 on PS4, Go Niners. I've watched 19 Westerns and counting since this quarantine began. And downtime and relaxation are things that we need to do. Especially for those of you who are working on the front lines, who are in the essential front line type of work. Or those who are working from home and are working way more hours than they're used to and are having to deal with a learning curve which is much steeper and more difficult than what we had before we went into quarantine. But our identity, if we have trusted Jesus Christ, comes from Jesus Christ. 
And knowing him is the prerequisite to showing him to our neighbors and to our friends and to our families, which we were made for, to make known that Jesus is the Christ, to be trophies of grace, to be conduits of grace for our Lord Jesus, who is King and Master and Lord over any and every Christian's life. So please rest, church. Please enjoy some downtime. Go for some walks. Go for some runs. Do some bike riding. Spend some time doing some things you don't have to do. But we should never, ever stop being witnesses for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Verse 14. Paul continues and he says, Who gave himself, Jesus, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, hear me. I think if I say gospel, many of you probably think you know what I'm talking about. You Things like the perfect life lived of Jesus, the sacrificial death on the cross of Jesus, his victorious resurrection from the dead. You may think about the kingdom of God and that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, that he reigns on heaven and on earth. You may even think of the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are known as the Gospels. And even though each of those examples connect somewhat to the Gospel or may be part of the definition of the Gospel in some ways, the emphasis that has always stuck with me when it comes to the Gospel is the ability or the lack of ability that I have to save myself. No amount of good deeds, no amount of humanitarian work will ever be enough or even a fraction of what is required in order to be in right relationship and and in the presence of a holy and mighty and perfect God. But Jesus, when Jesus walked among us, he did do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He didn't just live a perfect life to be a sacrifice. He lived a perfect life that when we bow down to Jesus, he becomes our life as well. But I don't know how you heard what I just said. If you're religious and someone who believes you must or maybe that you can work your way to God, you may think that once you come to Christ, you no longer sin. But guess what? You do because I do. So that interpretation must be incorrect based on the fact that no one is perfect before or after they begin to follow Jesus. So what does Paul mean when he says that Jesus redeems us from all wickedness and purifies a people for his very own to do good? It means that even though we are still in this world with our will and our former nature, which continues to echo in our lives that we are no longer defined or identified by our sin. But we are being transformed more into the likeness of Jesus as we pursue the perfect one. In some ways, Christians have a very low bar. If all you think you have to do is believe to be saved... Yes, that seems like a low bar. You have to believe. You do things wrong, and yet you believe, and Jesus Christ offers his gift of salvation. You receive it, and you're good. But if you believe that acknowledging Jesus as God is all that is required of you, then you don't have a relationship with my God. Because when we truly believe by faith that Jesus is enough, I can't help want more of him. 
I can't help being more like him. I can't stop the progression of the fruit of the Spirit in my life because I am no longer my own. I am his and he is mine. So if you think that all you have to do is believe, but you don't have to pursue, you're wrong. Because once you truly believe, you do want to pursue. In a spiritual sense, Jesus superimposes his life over a Christian's. We are justified because God sees Jesus when he looks at us rather than our sin and our constant disobedience. But we are redeemed to be stewards of grace that obey out of the motivation of love rather than as a requirement. Verse 15. These then are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Paul concludes with, these are what you are to teach, Titus. Which it seems that if we look at chapter 2, here's, here's what chapter 2 is talked about. There are instructions for those of us who are part of the church family that we are to have sound doctrine. We are to be self-controlled. We are to be temperate. We are to be submissive to those that have responsibility or authority over us as, as if we were being submissive to the Lord. Because Jesus is redeeming his people as a testimony of his lordship to do good things out of love that are pleasing to him. Teach, Titus says, or Paul says to Titus, teach, encourage, rebuke with the authority of the Lord's pastor elder Titus. You're overseeing souls. Don't let anyone despise you. Don't let anyone look down on you in other translations. You as an elder and overseer, if you are properly teaching and disseminating the truth of scripture, let no one disregard the truth of God within your care. Church of the Valley, we're in this together. I know as our staff has contacted many of you this week, that most were engaging with the playlist, that many of you are watching the playlist. You're not just watching the sermon, you're watching all things. And for some of you, you've only got some time, so you just watch the sermon. And I know that you enjoy getting to see different people's faces as we're producing this content. And I know that it is great to be able to know that we worshiped and learned the same things, even though we're separated from one another. But more than anything, we are doing this playlist to be faithful to the commands of God to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to speak the truth of the word, to give us virtual ways that we would not forsake gathering with one another. And as your pastor and as your friend, I need to just say that this is really hard to preach to a camera. <sighs> it's really hard to have like 6 million Zoom calls a week. I may be exaggerating a little. It's hard to handle the pressure of pastoring people from afar. But I just need to say, we're going to get through this because we have a hope in Jesus Christ. And God is still God. And we are still his children. So if you're depressed, if you're lonely, look to Jesus. If you're not sure how you're going to make rent or your mortgage, look to Jesus. If you're not sure how you're going to have your next meal, look to Jesus and pray. 
but contact the church. Let us know of your needs. We want to help if we can. Because we believe that this is the church that Christ died for and you're part of his church and we want to do the best that we can to steward the grace and the resources that we have to make much of Jesus. Last thing, we're asking those who are able and willing to continue to give towards the ministry of Jesus Christ to Church of the Valley. If you feel that Church of the Valley, this place, not the building, but the people, not the steeple, but the people, if you believe that this is where God has you, and this is the ministry in which you're behind. This is the community that you worship with. And the Lord is using this to help you grow more into the likeness of Jesus. We encourage you to give of your offering. You can do it online. You can go to covalley.com forward slash giving. Or you can mail a check to the church at 400 North Winchester Boulevard, Santa Clara, California, 95050. Thankfully, we as a community are still... Uh, able to do what we're doing and we are still paying our staff who are working tirelessly tirelessly to make known that Jesus is Lord and to care for our people. And so we want you to have this opportunity. If you want to continue to give towards the work of the ministry here, please do so when you feel led to. I'm going to pray for us. It's on a video. It's a little weird. I want to state that it's a little weird, but I want to pray for us before we jump into a time of worship and song. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me if you are willing? Father, I thank you for every person that is watching this sermon. God, I pray that your word would penetrate their hearts and they would put into practice in whatever situation they are in the things that you're telling them to do differently. God, I thank you for the giving of your people and the way that we've been able to steward resources to help many people within the community. And I pray that you would continue to give us that opportunity through your people. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is Lord, and we thank you that we get to continue to make disciples of all nations and generations for the glory of your name. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.